0: Hi everyone, I'm Amanda and I'm the CEO at Lindsey's Furniture in Florida. I found out about Gary a little over a year ago and I've been obsessed ever since. Today's podcast is about you taking responsibility for all of your actions. Make sure to tweet at Gary V for your chance to intro an episode. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Everything on you, everything's your fault. You want to really win in life? You want to get real happy? You know why I'm really happy? Because I think everything's my fault. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about this whole journey, about about how entrepreneurship has become something of a, of a status and and has been put on a pedestal. I've also been thinking about how scary it is when something becomes cool or interesting and what that creates. And I've been pondering that quite a bit, which is the differences between being an entrepreneur and being a successful entrepreneur. You know, putting the fact that you're a CEO in your Instagram profile doesn't mean that it's what you're gonna be able to do for the rest of your life. And what I'm really concerned about is that we have lived, both in Canada and the US, with basically an eight- to nine-year macro, almost a decade of good economic growth. we just have. You know obviously, there was a crash in the U.S. in 2008 or nine, but if you look at the data, we're probably on the tail end of economic growth. You know obviously nobody knows, otherwise they would make trillions of dollars. But one of the things that I did want to talk to you guys about today is practicality. I think practicality is stunningly uh, not talked about enough. So for example, if you're running a business right now and it's predicated on raising money or you've raised money and you lose money each month, it's probably a really good idea to change course pretty quickly. Because the biggest issue for me right now is that we have a lot of people who wanna build brands, who wanna become influencers, who wanna start companies, but they're not putting in the pieces that actually allow them to weather the storm. You know, the thing that I'm most proud of is the two biggest businesses I've ever built, I basically started them during very difficult times. When I first got involved in my dad's liquor store business, it was the late 90s, and just about a year and a half into my journey, I guess two years into my journey, the stock market crashed, and all the internet companies folded, and all the people that were making money that I was targeting to sell wine stopped having money to buy wine. And and then right behind that, because most of my business was New York and New Jersey based even though we were building an internet company, it was only about a year later that 9-11 happened and not only you know, changed, I mean, for anybody that lived in the New York, New Jersey area, it was much more compounded for us because we lost loved ones and, and I, I remember I lost 100 employees from one organization in one day. I had to go in hand by hand and take their emails out because everybody passed away from Cantor Fitzgerald that worked in that office. So. I, and that, so I persevered through that because I was practical, because I didn't have a lot of overhead, and because I wasn't romantic. I wasn't dreaming. I knew that I had to buy and sell wine and liquor and beer, and I had to make sure that my expenses weren't greater than the money I was bringing in. VaynerMedia started in the ashes of the economic meltdown of the US. When I started VaynerMedia, people didn't want to pay $5,000, let alone the 50 or 100,000 they pay us a month now for our services. And and when I started VaynerMedia, you know, it's funny, I watch everybody watch my journey now and, you know, there's that cliche thing of like overnight success, right? I'm gonna have this TV show come out this June and it's gonna change my profile, right? I'm gonna sit on a stage with Will IM and Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica Alba for this Apple show that I'm about to do and and everybody's gonna say, where'd he come from? That happened overnight, uh, you know? Um, and it's even really happened in social. I'm sure a lot of you, for a lot of you, you've only really even have known about me for the last six months or so, even though I've been putting out content online for 10 years every single day. And so, the thing that I've been really thinking about is practicality, like VaynerMedia, even though I had already built a nice-sized business, it wasn't like I was extracting a lot of money out of Wine Library, and so when AJ and I started VaynerMedia, seven years ago, we started it out of a company called Buddy Media's Conference Room. For the first two years that I ran Media, we had no rent. We first worked out of a conference room, a conference room. We then worked out of a co-working space before the whole WeWork and co-working space revolution and I bartered my time to help that company in exchange for a very small space. We didn't buy furniture, we scrapped. And I'd already made it, I was already rich and we scrapped, and so the biggest thing that I want to implore everybody here today to do is to take a step back and think about how fancy are they. Are you willing to be really, really, really ghetto? Do you really need that chair? Do you really need that piece of technology? Do you really need to fly that class? Like, I I just think that we're living through an incredibly fancy culture of entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship and CEO status is quite sexy. People are selling a lifestyle that is filled with lots of fun and trips and, and champagne and bikinis and bling bling and all sorts of horse shit, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I just think that that era of this era is gonna come to an end somewhere within the next five years and very honestly, I just don't want a lot of people in this room that dream to build their own businesses to have to go work at a bank or go work at a retail store. And so I would highly recommend something that I think is stunningly not talked about enough, which is if you're building a business, you have to be making money. I know that's like a funny thing to say, um, but uh, I think it's important. I think the other thing that's important is to shift the context completely the other way, which is what is really winning, right? Like, what is the definition of winning? And I think we all have different definitions, right? Uh, And I think that one of the things that I also want to say is that I'm getting scared that a lot of people that are following my journey hear me talking about buying the New York Jets, and I do aspire to buy a $3 billion sports franchise. I do, it it is what I want. It's, you can look at my fifth grade yearbook long before business was cool, it's what I wanna do. But I'm awfully scared that it's pressuring the people that follow me into trying to achieve things that they don't necessarily want. They just think it's the thing you do if you're trying to be a successful business person. Let me promise you something. I know tens of thousands of people and I know thousands of people extremely well I know hundreds of people deeply well. There is no correlation between how much money someone makes and their level of happiness. I have friends who make $47,000 a year and are the happiest people I know. Their work-life balance is on point, they're part of two soccer teams, they play video games, they watch every show they want, they take two vacations that they scrap together and they're freaking happy as hell. And I know tons of people who I grew up with in the Silicon Valley boom who have hundreds of millions of dollars in their bank account and are as miserable and as lonely and as broken as you'll ever see. So I implore all of you to please reverse engineer and figure out who you are and figure out what level of monetizing and stuff you need and what level of creativity you need. I promise you one thing, one thing that will catch you very off guard. I should be way more rich. I leave money on the table every day. I, I've left ungodly amounts of money on the table. I spend tons of times sending DMs and engaging with people, meeting people randomly and not cashing in. I actually believe the statement I'm about to make. I think that I love the journey and the game of entrepreneurship so much that I have subconsciously sabotaged my financial upside to make sure I can play this a little longer because I fear if the numbers keep getting too big, eventually it will take the fun out of it. When you are lucky enough, like I am, to actually do something that you love so much, do something that puts pressure against the one thing you care about besides it, which is the time I spend with my family. My family is my whole life. And being this and doing this is the only thing that cuts into that. I couldn't breathe if I wasn't an entrepreneur. I didn't breathe when I wasn't an entrepreneur. That's the reason I got D's and F's in school, because I just couldn't be me. And I'm not capable of that. And so I think being here excites me because I think coming to not LA, San Francisco, New York, London is always more fun for me. It always feels a little more practical. It always feels like there's a little bit more chips on the shoulder, which is what I have. But I wanna remind everybody, just cause you didn't grow up with a trust fund, just cause you don't live in Silicon Valley, the market doesn't care. If you're good enough, you will win. And if you sit around and ponder, well, if I didn't live here or if my mom wasn't an alcoholic or if I just learned about this earlier or if I'd been following this person earlier or if I wasn't born a woman or if I wasn't born a minority, if you sit and do that, you are losing. You're not wrong. It's just that business and marketing and all this doesn't care. There's just no emotion in the market. Like, that's it. And so I think we need to start having much deeper, much more serious conversations of practicality. You know, it's fun and I love this space the most. But I loved it long before it was sexy. I loved it long before people wanted to take selfies with me. I loved it long before athletes and celebrities and rappers wanted to be entrepreneurs. I loved it long before that. It was my destiny. It was who I was. It was how I was wired. It was the only thing I knew. That's why the four-year-old me ripped flowers out of yards and sold it. (laughs) You don't read about being an entrepreneur at five, six, seven, eight, and nine. I didn't jump on this because it's cool now and it makes me money and girls. I did it because it's all I ever was. And I implore you, if you came here to be an entrepreneur, but this talk allows you to realize you're really an artist, or you're really a number three in a company because you bring this level of energy and you don't want to be a number one because let me promise you something about being a number one. I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm a firefighter. My entire life is taking care of crap. Putting out fires. 24-7, 365, my whole life is this is a problem. Fix this and guess what? When you're the last line of defense, there's no blaming your boss. There's no blaming the logo. There's no blaming the government. It's all my fault. All of it. And so, it's super sexy, but what's not being talked about is the friends and acquaintances I have who've committed suicide in the entrepreneur land the last four years because nobody talks about the downside. Everybody thinks they're gonna be Zucks. Everybody thinks they're gonna build Snapchat. Go look at the data the data shows that the far majority of this room will not succeed, not even close, to building an actual business. And I don't come here to be somber. I come here to remind you that there's only one thing you can do. The only thing you can do that can trump the moment mommy and daddy had sex to make you, the only thing that can trump that, the only thing that can trump your DNA, the only thing that is controllable, if you want it, if you want this, is work. Started using the word work more than the word hustle, just because I want everybody to understand what we're really talking about here. If you've got a big mouth, and a lot of you do here, search the hashtag, and a lot of you say CEO, founder, owner. I call that big mouth. If you've got the audacity to do it, and, and so many of you have heard this from me, when I audit you, and I do, because I'm curious, it's how I learn. People talk a big game. I especially love when somebody hits me up on social, like Gary V. you're gonna buy the Jets, I'm gonna buy the Rams, you know? <laughs> you know everybody is buying a sports team and i love and i love to look at what that person does and and then i'll dm that person and be like yo bro nobody nobody unless they were a trust fund baby ever bought the rams when they go skiing for a week when they're 24 <laughs> nobody you know nobody you know nobody you know has become successful outside of it being given to them from their family, nobody you know has actually created success without working their face off. It doesn't exist. So you can sit and talk about luck and you can sit and talk about this, that, or the other thing, but I promise you, the only controllable thing you have is your work ethic. So, going back to the beginning of my talk, you need to deploy serious serious self-awareness and figure out who you are. I implore you to start matching your work ethic and your actions to your mouth. If you're gonna be a billionaire, you need to realize that most people that create billion dollars worth of wealth don't do anything besides work every single day of their 20s and 30s. All of them. Every person that works at VaynerMedia has taken more vacations in the last 13 months than I did in my entire 20s and early 30s. My family went on two family vacations my entire childhood. I was married to my wife for five years before we had a family, we took two vacations. It's the price you have to pay if you want it at the level that I want it at. And by the way, I advise nobody to want it at that level. I'm being dead serious. This is a very true statement that I think most of you will not believe but I'm telling you it's the goddamn truth. If there was a drug that could take some ambition out, I would take it. (laughs) It is so extreme. It is all in. The reason I started Daily V was to remind you that I'm outworking you. That when you talk and you're trying to figure it out, when you're trying to say you're gonna be like me, I want you to see it. I want you to see every other day, 5 a.m. I want you to see every day, midnight. All of them, every day, always, forever. That's what it takes for what I want. Good news is, between what I want and what is achievable and is considered unbelievably all-time happy is a big gap. So there's plenty of vacation time. I know tons of people with vacation time. I know tons of people with work-life balance. I know tons of people that do tons of fun activities and make seven figures, millions of dollars a year and love it. I'm playing for legacy. I'm playing for all time. I'm looking to impact every generation that comes behind me because I want to show that you can build all-time wealth, all-time greatness doing it the right way and the old way. That's what I'm up to. So. Please make sure you understand that. And more importantly, make sure you understand yourself so that you can reverse engineer that blueprint and figure out where you fit within that and then deploy it. But I promise you, but I promise you, you will not get there with your big idea. I promise you, sitting around and saying, oh, I had that idea for Uber before Uber did. Nobody gives a shit. I've got every idea that's gonna be successful over the next 100 years. It's all about AI and VR and AR and augmented and all this. I'll give them to you all. It doesn't matter, because most of you won't execute against it. The reason I put out all my best stuff and I'm liked and I don't charge for it is somewhere along the line, I realize that 99.9% of you aren't gonna do anything about it. You're gonna ponder it, you're gonna get super pumped up when you watch me say it, and then three weeks later you're gonna give up you're not willing to pay the price. And that's cool, everybody's different but you need to figure out what price you are willing to pay for what you want. It has been insane to me how many people have emailed me in the last month about the 2017 flip challenge, which for you that don't know, was a video I made in December which is, so many of you email me asking me for $5,000 and meanwhile there's $5,000 worth of crap sitting in your house right now, go grab it, post it on eBay, flip it and make your money. How many people have flipped something since they saw that video? Raise your hands, just want to say Higher, higher. Don't be shy. That's it. You know, like, it's insane. People emailing me like, hey, this, like, I just made $8,000 because I sold $100 of this, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Funny thing happens when you actually work. <laughs> Go figure. Funny thing happens when you actually realize it's money that gives you the opportunity. Everybody's got a big idea. Everybody's got the Uber of lawn mowers. Everybody's got the Airbnb of ice cream. It's not gonna happen. And if it does, please take the clip of this talk, email me, and say in the title, Gary Vee, you were wrong. And I will be the first to call you and be say mazel tov. I am so pumped. But I just want to remind every, especially 20 and 30 year old in this room, I came out the gate and I worked every day for 13 years before I said a goddamn word to anybody. I talk a whole lot now, and I've made up for those 13 years of silence. <laughs> But I just wanna remind everybody that I didn't make a video to the world about anything about business until I was 35 years old. After I worked every single day from the time I was 22 and in reality 14. And then I started talking. There's a whole lot of talking going on. How about more action? How about more execution? How about more paying prices for what your mouth is saying? That is what I hope you do. I mean, you know, I think it comes down to your talent. So one of the things that I'm fascinated by is how many people are scared to take risks and then take credit for things. For example, let me explain. The amount of businesses that I've looked at over the last decade that are doing $1 million, $2 million, $4 million, $8 million in sales and are successful and the founder is kind of making fun of other people for different things and then I remind them that if I had run their business instead of doing 2 million, it would be doing 19 they take a step back and then I try to explain to them in detail and here's where I'm getting at. Everybody's got their own cadence and their own talent but taking risks is how you make real things happen. It's how you take quantum leaps. The amount of things I failed at at VaynerMedia from an agenda standpoint over the last seven years is enormous because I take micro risks all the time. Risks that if they go to zero, which is how I think about them, will not put me out of business. But risks, for example, took a lot of risks last year. Last year we did 100 million dollars in revenue. The year before we did 67. We made the same amount of money in both years. Risks. Lost 33 million dollars of profit against that gross, You know, probably left six, seven million dollars in profit on the table because I took risks. The good news is one of those risks is probably going to make me 50 more in revenue in three years. So I think risks are imperative and I want to remind the people here who are conservative You know, that's great and if you're at the number that you wanna be at, great. The one thing I would say is the biggest fear I have for people that don't take risks is that your competitors might and then you're in trouble. So a lot of people think it's insular but it's not. Maybe the person that owned the most cab medallions in New York should have taken a risk and built a cab app. I think one of the biggest reasons I don't tell anybody how to parent or how to map their ambition or give relationship advice is we all have different stuff. The serendipity of my life created a scenario where the woman that I married grew up in a household where her father traveled all the time, right? She has the greatest relationship with him. They worked in extremes. He worked a lot and they vacationed a lot and things of that nature. And I grew up in a very similar household where mine was even more extreme. There was no extremes, it was one gear, all working. And, and we're also a very old school couple. We're a little bit more into dividing and conquering. You know, obviously now we have a whole lot of co-parenting and things of that nature. But, and I don't think one's right or one's wrong. I just know what Lizzie and I are comfortable with. And that's Lizzie and I. And it's very cute and nice that there's lots of books written about what we should do. And it's very nice that you have opinions of how I should do it, but I don't give a shit. No, but I, I want you to tell me you struggle with that, maybe. I, Do you struggle trying to, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then I feel even worse. let, Let me tell you what I struggle with if you're looking for something. I struggle being completely petrified of anybody that I love dying. Like crippled. Like when my mom goes to the doctor, I can't think for a checkup. That's what I struggle with. After that, feels very controllable. It's binary for me, brother. You know? It's all I've got. because i also know there's so many yings and yangs i know that my daughter is going with me on two speaking engagements in the next year and that we're going to when i go speak in anaheim i'll take the next day off with her and we'll go through disneyland and have that time i don't remember anything about what my parents did with me from 10 to 30, you know from 6 to 13 other than the one time my mom took me out of school on my birthday in fourth grade and took me to the arcade people don't understand how memory and the brain works And by the way, let me remind all the parents that feel great about their work-life balance, coming home and being on your phone and watching TV, and it doesn't mean you're with them. Things change, man. You know, like I don't, like with all the audacity that I just delivered this with, I could walk into my home seven months from now and Lizzie could look me in the face and says, I'm done with this. Too much. And then I got a real problem. Cause then I have to decide between two things I can't breathe without, you know? And so I get it, I get it. I don't sit here thinking I've got it all figured out. And then life's got twists and turns. Everything's great until your child is diagnosed with a life-threatening disease. I promise you this, if I ever shut my mouth, it's only gonna be because of the health of my family. If you ever don't see me again, that's what I'm doing. And I'll be back when that's resolved. But I'm not stressed by most of the stuff in the middle, especially in the current political correctness POVs of what we should be doing. It's the big one. I think I give so much, because I actually think I feel guilty that I was not only gifted with the right DNA, but I was parented so perfectly that I could give you that answer, because I know almost every other person I know doesn't have that feeling about themselves, and a whole lot of it had to do with their mother, or their dad, or where they grew up. So I feel, I feel enormous pain towards people like my father, like a lot of my best friends who weren't gifted with the infrastructure of the household that made them feel good about themselves, but in return, because their parents were insecure and sad inside, they took it out on their children and pointed out their flaws, because misery loves company. But I, I, I implore you, if you're sitting with that in this audience, that you need to figure out whether it's through therapy, whether it's through something else, you've gotta get that poison out of your body, because if you don't, you're, just not, a, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, what are we doing here? Like, of course. Like, it, it's so easy, and I've been talking about this more, and I think with the political climate in the states and other places in the world, it's easy to sell negativity. It's easy to be cynical. You're protecting your feelings. You don't want to be tricked. It's hard to sell positivity. People are poking at that, always. It feels better it's tough to see it when you don't have it. I'm empathetic to that. Um, But sure, I mean, you know, I talk a lot in business context, but whether you're a parent or in government, like, what what do you want to do? Like, why else would you, like, go through life not trying to achieve happiness? And so, yeah, I, I think, of course, that's the ultimate goal. And it's incredible what happens when you feel good. Like, everything's easy to deal with, John, you know? Everything's easy to deal with because it, it's just life. It's real. You know, like, I, I don't think, I, I think people dwell. And I think dwelling is the wrong strategy. I think everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. I break things up into black and white and gray, EQ and IQ. I think those are the two pillars that I kind of look at when I look at somebody. And some people have hard skills out their ass, right? They can do everything, but they don't know how to interact with the other boys and girls, and that ultimately tumbles them, right? Then, so the reason I started talking about something called the Honey Empire, is that's what I want everybody at Vayner to know. In the beginning, I valued Honey more. That's why I call it Honey Empire. So if you were a good person, and you could get along with everybody else, you worked at Vayner for quite a while because that was what I valued. We're now seven, we're now bigger. You know, if you've raised a child, you know things change. You expect more as they get older and so I expect more of the organization. So we went through a tough patch over the last six months where I had to let go of certain people because I deemed that they didn't have the hard skills, the actual intellect, the actual ability, the output, Crossing T's, dotting I's, black and white stuff. The math skills, the, the email copy skills to have a client, you know, the strategy skills to come up with an idea that mattered. And it was very shocking to our company, and a lot of feelings got hurt. But it's the right thing to do because meritocracy matters. If you don't do that, the winning players leave. Everything on you everything's your fault. You want to really win in life? You want to get real happy? You know why I'm really happy? Because I think everything's my fault. That if I don't like it, I can change. President of the United States, I don't like it, I can move. Like what's everybody's problem? Adjust. I mean that, me, I, I, I meaning, meaning I don't have to agree with his politics, I'm just saying that you're in charge. And we are just not historically contextualized. I'd be, I'm much happier to deal through, you know, you know political toughness or, or economic downturn, much cooler to deal with than the Black Plague. No really, I mean like somebody dealt with the Black Plague. Like you have relatives that died from the, pla- I mean I know it's funny, but it's true. And like, you know, so I mean, I don't know. I just don't know how to complain. I always think somebody has it worse. And if somebody has it worse, you need to shut up. Whoever is the 7.7, if that's what the number we're at, whoever's in last place, whoever that person is, if there was a world chart ranking and Sally was dead last, she can talk. I'm, I'm always, Yeah, I'm always testing. Like everything I do is always learning behavior, right? To me, it was when I decided that Instagram was disproportionately getting the attention, I wanted to understand what was the right cadence to create notification turn on and how do I bring value in return for it and what's the right value prop of returning it? And then I saw that it, a lot of people were posting but was that bringing value to the community which is why I shifted it to Five Minute Club and then I realized like neither was really bringing value but the 60 Second Club brought a sense of urgency and fun to people, like tens of thousands of them. So I said, let's switch it back. Those are just micro, micro tactics in me learning things that could eventually help clients, could help Wine Library and just, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So. The end goal is to be on the journey of entrepreneurship. I'm a risk taker. I like doing different things. I don't like settling for the same old thing and so those are, those are just tactics of trying to learn different platforms and capabilities and trying to understand the learnings from the behavior of people reacting to it. There's no really end goal. Like, Is there an end goal that in one year through this, through no. these channels? No, I, I have just... zero micro end goals like that. Zero. Zero. I never, ever, ever think I've never said that in one year You know, I don't have that goal. I have one macro goal which is to, to, uh, to, to feel like I left it on the field is probably the best way I could put it. I just, you know, I'm sure all of us have different versions of this, I just have this feeling. You know, it's, it's like moth to the light, right? I couldn't even really explain it. It's why I'm so comfortable in it because it's been there long before this. 20 years before the internet, it was there. Do you know what I mean? Like, It's just always been there. I don't know why every single weekend, instead of playing with my friends, I wanted to make my friends work with me and wash cars. I mean, my poor friends that are now coming out of the woodworks, I forgot how many of them I made do things. I don't talk about the shoveling snow and the car wash business and the miniature golf course I built in my friend's backyard. Like, you know, I don't talk about those things often, but it's, you know, you know, it's just who I am. It's, it's you know, the same way, pe- way people need to sing, or the same way people like need to cook every night. You just need to cook. Like, you don't even, you can't, you know? I just need to business. I have the right balance of wanting to give back and a lot of selfishness to have the attention and it works in my favor. For, because I feel good about both. I love the attention and like I have that narcissistic DNA and I love it, I love taking selfies, I love that people want to stay, I love, I love people. Of course I would love it, it feels nice. My mom loved me so much and complimented me every day so much that when I left the house I was like, fuck this, I need more of that. <laughs> so I, I need that, that's why I do it. I'm also not scared. A lot of my friends who don't put themselves out there, they don't want themselves out there because there's things that they don't want people to uncover about them. So I'm not scared, that happens. And it feels really good getting 100 emails a day from people whose lives are way better because they stumbled on some of your videos and that's something that my quiet friends who don't need that, who just need to build and do their business, they don't have that feeling. So when my friends who tell me, my God, if you put this energy into your full time, like if people knew, like my friends will say things like, if people knew that Gary Vee was your side hustle, like if people knew like how much you're actually still, if you actually took all that time and energy and put it into your business, you wouldn't be doing 100 million, you'd be doing 200 million. And I always reply with the same thing. I'm like, yeah, but my legacy's way better than yours. Thanks guys for listening